And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Welcome to Rates and Barrels. It's Tuesday, November 22nd. Derek Van Riper here with Eno Saris. On this episode, we wrap up our 2022 positional review series. We are looking at catchers and UT-only players. It's nice to have the the end of the series here, you know, because as we've kind of joked for a few weeks, it means we're closing in on starting the preview series, probably in January, not really something we're doing like immediately after reviews. <laughs> yeah, we're actually taking a break next week, one week off. Yeah, and then I think we'll hopefully have a whole bunch of news. You know, one thing that happened this year with the lockout is everything got squeezed. So, you know, we were like playing baseball into like the awards week almost. You know, it got, it got a little hairy there. Um, and I think that's why there's been a relative lack of news right now is because somebody has to take a time off sometime. You know? <laughs> like mm-hmm. So everyone's sort of taking some time off. And um, I expect that the winter meetings will be pretty interesting. There have been a bunch of non-tenders that are decent players like Cody Bellinger and Luke Voigt. Um, there are a bunch of teams, uh, but, you know, there's the four big shortstops. I expect them to sort of take the longest, um, but uh, there's still all these uh, players around that that can sign. Um, and uh, I, I think generally the playoff structure was a success in that um teams that tried did well you know the padres and phillies uh, as examples and then also um it, it just it seemed to incentivize teams to to try before we even got to the playoffs in terms of uh people wanting to win the division you know and thinking that was a legitimate incentive to do something more than just be like i'm gonna build an 89 win team and call it quits you saw the Dodgers try to get better. Saw the Yankees try to get better. Saw a lot of teams that actually try to win the division. The Mets spent a bunch of money, et cetera. So I think the playoff strategy ended up being a success. And because of that, I expect the Mets, for example, not to sit on their laurels and think, oh, well, wild card would be fine. You know, I think they'll want to win the division. Yeah. And I, I've thought more about this new format and I've wondered if once we have expansion, because it seems inevitable that we will get two new teams added, I don't know, at some point, maybe in the next 10 years, like if we're looking ahead and if I say it's November of 2032, are there 32 teams by 2032? I, I would probably vote or bet yes in that case. I think, I think so. it's more likely than not. I think franchise fees bring a lot of money into the pockets of current owners. They're going to want money. When don't they? But this is a window where timing wise, too, it's been a little while since we've had expansion. Getting to 32 might actually get us back to uh, two divisions in each league. That could also be the other change. That's the change I would like to see a company two new expansion teams, two eight division teams in each of the, of the American and National League. I also think that we can af- we can afford it talent wise. I know that there's some people who say, oh, we can't even, you know, field good pitching staffs right now. And I disagree. I think that. Right now, the third and fourth best reliever on good teams could close for most teams 20 years ago. Yeah. You know, um, we're talking about, you know, somebody think, like Jonathan Loisega, you know, I think could be a clo- would have been a great closer 20 years ago, you know. Um, and so that to me means that we can afford uh, a little bit of expansion uh, that's more jobs uh, for the players. Uh, it's more markets for more TV markets uh, for baseball in general, a chance to grow it. Uh, you know, there are regions like the uh, region between Charlotte and Durham uh, right there that are uh, doing really well financially, uh, are growing, are young regions uh, that aren't necessarily, yes, they sort of Braves fans now, 
but they're not uh, so you know so solidly Braves fans um, that they couldn't uh, be a fan of a new team. And so I'm generally a fan of expansion. Uh, I'm annoyed that uh, it has to wait for Tampa and Oakland to get new stadiums because uh, Manfred has to hold those places hostage. Uh, and so he needs those expansion areas as places where they could move uh, those teams, Oakland and Tampa. Um, and so that's annoying to me because I'm not a big fan. Most of the data says that giving teams stadiums for free is not uh, what the taxpayers want. If you want, uh, check out J.C. Bradbury's feed. Uh, he even convinced me that, as I thought the San Diego one was a win, but he pointed out that things like uh, the new light rail that the taxpayers had to pay for after the stadium was so successful um, that the gas lamp grew bigger, they had to go back to the to the to the taxpayers and ask for a two hundred million dollar light rail. So you actually have to add that into any sort of math that you're doing. The infrastructure costs are bared by the taxpayers as well. So if you as you grow, you 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 lead to more infrastructure costs that leads to more taxpayer. Uh, out, you know, out of the taxpayers' pockets. So, uh, really interesting stuff from J.C. Bradbury on that, and I'm just generally not a fan of giving teams money for uh, stadiums. Yeah, um, I'm right there with you, and I think uh, J.C.'s work explains in clear detail why that's a, a stance that makes a lot of sense. Let's uh, let's get to our catcher review. It's a position every single year for the last three or four years. I have. I've suggested we should shrink it. We should go from... Eliminate it. Is it like kickers in, in, in football? <laughs> no, it's not that bad. It's not that bad. And I'm not even on the get rid of kickers. I'm more of the, hey, a 50-yard field goal shouldn't be worth five fantasy points. It's worth three real-life points. It should be worth three actual fantasy points. <laughs> All right, get the scoring right. Yeah, just be reasonable with your kicker scoring. Why do we need two starting catchers in fantasy baseball when there's pretty clearly one starting catcher per team. <laughs> that is exactly where I'm coming from. And I know <laughs> the argument I get the most when I put this out there, and it's an annual thing, it's a tradition, right? It's like, oh, it's Thanksgiving. I must I must complain about the two-catcher format. <laughs> and I've Airing said this, of I, the grievances. Yeah, yeah. I, I will play. I will play your two-catcher league. I don't care if the NFBC and Tout Wars, Labor, whatever, whatever league we're in, TGFBI, if the rules are two-catchers, I'll live with it. I'm not going to sit here and complain about it. I put this out there as food for thought because many people listening are either the commissioner of their league or they at least have the ear of the commissioner for their league. And they think about how to play the game in a way that is the most fun. The pushback is always... Well, it makes it easier to only have one catcher. And my point would be, well, you don't have to eliminate the spot completely. You could just make the second catcher spot a second utility spot. You could take away the catcher spot and add a pitcher spot to make it 13 and 10 instead of 14 and 9. You don't have to make the roster smaller and make the game, air quotes, easier. So the other part of the argument is that finding the best second catcher is not the most fun way to show off how smart you are. There are more interesting ways to find value than digging through the pile of second catchers and trying to find the guy that either just plays a lot because he's a slightly better hitter or framer than the other guy or someone who's the beneficiary of an injury because the position gets so torn up by injuries each and every year. But then I know you've talked a lot about on this show some of the long-term implications of rule changes and the way the game is played and how that could ultimately shift the way catchers are developed and maybe that ultimately in several years changes the amount of offensive output that we get from the catcher pool as a whole. Yeah, I had some interesting news about that. Uh, while down in uh, the Arizona Fall League, a scout told me that they had recently um, sort of polled players and coaches uh, and staff about uh, the, the options in front of them, which were, you know, status quo or uh, auto fully automated balls and strikes, robo umps, as it were, um, or um, the, uh, the the newest thing, which is a challenge system where, you know, there's a certain amount of challenges per game. Uh, 
Um, and uh, Ropa, full Ropa Realms was a uh, dead last, obviously last, and status quo and the challenge system were in sort of a tie, as, as I was told. Um, and that's really interesting because uh, we've seen the challenge system you know, in the minor leagues, and it's fast. It does allow uh, for big calls to be reversed. Um, and uh, basically, the pitcher and the catcher or the, the hitter uh, can just make a, a signal to uh, the to the ump, uh, and they basically play it. It's not one of those ones where you're waiting for the manager to review it and and all that thing. It's sort of just a direct sort of thing, and then they they see it up on the on the, everyone sees it up on the board, and it's boom. It's like the it's more like the tennis thing, where uh, where they use the same technology, Hawkeye, and uh, once there's a challenge, they show it up on the board. Everyone sees the ball bounce. Everyone sees if it was in or out. And uh, everyone gets to clap or boo, and uh, and then move move on quickly. That keeps uh, things honest. Uh, oh, by the way, did you know I I, I missed this? Uh, my son told this to me. My ten year old son told me that um, someone pitched a perfect game. Uh, an umpire pitched a perfect game in the World Series. Got every single call correct. I did not see that. Is that from Ump Scorecards or from one of their sources out there? I don't know how my kid found that. It must have must have been on the news or something when I wasn't listening. But um, anyway, uh, you know, umpires have been getting better as we've been training them, and I think the challenge system could actually just add to you know another layer of uh, you know. Right now, they're uh, on the order of eighty-five to eighty-eight percent correct. If I if I believe uh, the, the last numbers uh, that I saw, uh, this could push them into the nineties, um, I believe, and uh, maybe it's not worth. Um, upending, uh, you know, a sort of special relationship between pitcher, uh, between catcher, pitcher, catcher, and umpire that exists right now, a skill that's valued on the open market and framing, uh, and a, a certain market status quo when it comes to, to catchers. Uh, maybe it's not worth upending all that for the extra sort of four to six percent, especially if the challenge system gets the biggest calls correct. You know what I mean? Because you're going to mm -hmm. save those for like, oh, I don't want to strike out in the eighth inning on a pitch that was wrong. That's the ones we remember. So anyway, uh, in that case, uh, I think it's mostly relevant. Uh, one of the, the biggest busts this year probably in the catcher market was Yasmani Grandal, who was picked uh, uh, one, you know, 100th basically, uh, was supposed to be one of the top six catchers or so, uh, ended up with negative value. A lot of it was, uh, you know, all of it was because of his bat. And in terms of his framing runs, which, uh, according to aging curves, uh, age fairly gracefully, he was still a, a very good framer. Maybe not as good as he was in his peak with the Dodgers, but still a really good framer. Uh, I think he'll still be a starting catcher. And then hopefully when these health things get resolved that held him to such a poor uh, batting line, uh, I could see him putting up maybe 400 uh, plate appearances next year uh, with a, you know, sort of 230 average and 15 to 17 homers. Uh, probably not a number one catcher anymore, but he might be a good pick for that dreaded number two catcher that you've been talking about. Oh, if you're going to make me draft two catchers, Yasmani Grandal is still very rosterable. I think in your more common, you know, 10-team single catcher leagues, the ESPN, Yahoo leagues that a lot of people play in, he might be a more difficult player to roster. I do think there's a, a thing happening with the roster for the White Sox that could make it easier for Grandal to stay healthy, and that is the expected departure of Jose Abreu. I know the Padres, as AJ Preller, I'm sure, is like brining a turkey and working feverishly to try and, and add more to that roster. Uh, they have been linked to Abreu as a, a priority free agent for them. So if you take Abreu out of the playing time mix for the White Sox, I think you have Andrew Vaughn kind of in that first base DH role. But I think you could also get defensive help behind the plate, get a catcher that works with Grandal, take a lot of pressure off of his legs, and let him work more in that first base DH mix. Because when he's healthy, he's still a good hitter. I just think it's been a massive number of injuries that have really reduced his effectiveness here over the past year plus now. But, but prior to this, see, like he was so consistent year over year. That OBP especially was like a middle-of-the-order sort of OBP. As far as this position goes, the top actually was pretty good. I, I think Salvador Perez was a player that was easy for me to avoid, even though there were 
there were some interesting stories written about changes he had made that made it possible for him to put together a 2021 season that was honestly like so far above where I thought his ceiling was. It, it was a, it was a shocking season. I hope it's the kind of season that even five or ten years from now we still think about as an all-time great offensive catcher season because it it really was. I just thought getting him at the two three turn around pick thirty of a fifteen team league that was too steep when I thought the categorical balance you got from GT Real Mudo and even a similar a similar sort of projection with a better average from Will Smith was going to be there fifteen or twenty picks later. So I didn't think Sal Perez was going to be bad. I just didn't think he was going to do enough to be worth that pick. And that's kind of how it played out. He was a fifteen dollar player and. If you drafted him up that high, it probably didn't ruin you, but there were better ways to use that pick on draft day. Yeah, yeah, I mostly uh, avoided that pitfall. Uh, it makes me think of, uh, I know this is a total non sequitur, but it's catcher util day and, you know, we may not uh, have a full a full slate of information to deal or players to deal with anyway. <laughs> uh, so I'm going to allow myself this one, uh, this work off of the rundown. But Sal Perez uh, reminds me a little bit of uh, the discourse around uh, Jeremy Pena. Hmm. Uh, and the reason I, I, I mention this is because, uh, you know, Chris Crawford wrote a great piece about how uh, Jeremy Pena, um, you know, there were some warning signs um, and in particular a really bad chase rate, which is something we talk about uh, here a lot. And, um, and it's something that we saw even in the, in, I thought uh, even when he was going well, uh, especially in the Seattle series, there was a couple times where he really, they got him chasing uh, sliders down off the bottom of the zone a lot. Um, you can see it just in his walk and strikeout rates, you know, a 4% walk rate to a 24% strikeout rate. That's not something that you, really want to hang your hat on. Um, but Sal Perez has often had that sort of a profile. Uh, his defense keeps him on the field. And then he's over time, um, you know, added the ability to just slug the crap out of the balls he does connect with. Um, and I think Crawford, Chris Crawford was talking a little bit about um, that sort of opportunity for Pena to improve, even while the approach is a little bit rough. Um I think it's. Uh, I think projecting Pena is going to be really interesting. Um, you know, the projections say he's just basically going to do the same thing again, uh, but he's just coming off a World Series MVP. Uh, you know, the inflation is going to be is going to be there, um, and I think it may end up being something where I miss out on uh, Jeremy Pena 2.0 uh, because of uh, of years of kind of looking at Sal Perez and and looking at players with with bad chase rates and and sorts of stuff like that. Um, but I also have uh, two shares of Jeremy Pena in Keeper Leagues where I'm really stuck because then, you know, do I sell high uh, or do I do I hold? So um, that was a digression, but uh, mostly I, I did uh, fairly well. I think this year uh, I did end up with a couple Grandal uh, shares, but what I tried to do uh, was get Real Muto, uh, Smith, or Wilson Contreras um, as my number one, I wanted to get one good number one that I believed in. And then I waited a long time, uh, and usually got my number two in the early two hundreds where, uh, it was a good year to go shopping. Uh, you know, in the, in the early two hundreds and the late one hundreds, you got Alejandro Kirk, Christian Vasquez, Elias Diaz, Sean Murphy, Travis Darno, Gary Sanchez, Adley Rutschman, uh, the average contribution from that group. Uh, was north of $5. I think that's fine for a number two catcher. It gets a lot worse than that. Yeah, so it's pretty messed up because I think the massive injuries that occur at catcher, they, they're they so random. The position is just a, a constant occupational hazard. So I feel like, you know, aside from minor injuries that pop up, there's also that elevated risk of a devastating injury, which has been reduced, you know, with the new home plate rules from like eight years ago or 10 years ago. Now it's been better for a while, but I'm always worried about foul tips and concussions and different things that, that can knock players out for longer than you'd expect. I keep looking at this position the same way you just described it though, right? I'm now trying to prioritize someone from the top group 
because I don't want to lag in playing time. The playing time falls off so hard as you move further and further down the draft board that you could end up with someone who's very productive on a play a per plate appearance basis, but they just don't give you enough if you wait too long to address the position. So maybe that falls into like Eric Haas, for example, who had catcher and outfield eligibility. You can use players like that sometimes as a second catcher, but if you end up with two guys like that, you come up really, really light in runs and RBIs you know, compared to the teams that actually have at least one of those top-end catchers. I know some people out there were trying to get two. Some people were willing to prioritize two early roster spots on some combination of Real Mudo, Smith, Dalton Varsho, Wilson Contreras. I feel like that might be a little bit too much in a snake draft situation, but when you have the salary cap to work with, it might be a little more viable in drafts like that. I did that in Tout Wars. It worked really well. I didn't do it in any snakes this year. We'll see if that's something that I can actually try and, and pull off, maybe in a draft and hold or something. But I do think your format might dictate whether or not you can actually get two elite catchers and do it without paying a steep price in the form of the opportunity cost. I don't love the money output because if you you can do it, if you just run the auction calculator fan graphs, you can just see that the difference between uh, their their raw value, you know, their value is just a bat. Um, and then their positional value, once once it's added in, is so big that I hate that, that you're just spending a lot basically on manufactured, uh, by the, the two-catcher rule, manufactured position scarcity. And um, I, I, I can see the argument for it. That there is value there. But uh, there were four catchers this year that were above average with the bat and uh, were qualified batters, and only five catchers that were uh, that were qualified batters this year. So uh, that's spending a lot of money on not many plate appearances, if you know what I mean. Uh, but uh, if we take out the qualified filter, I think there and just sort by plate appearances, you had Sean Murphy with 612. He was the only one over 600. You had another four with 500. And then you had another 14 with 400. And I would really love to get two out of that 14. Because once you start getting under 300, uh, you know, once you get to 23rd in the big leagues, Jose Trevino, yes, worth rostering last year, uh, but 354 plate appearances and seven home and, and, and 11 home runs. It's just not, the, and like 39 runs and 43 RBI. It's just, uh, it's really poor counting stats so i want to get two of the top 14 uh but i would love to get like five and 14 you know what i mean (laughs) like i that's how i want to spend yeah there's a few gifts in the pool for us right now dalton varsho played enough games behind the plate in 2022 to qualify the position for at least one more year yeah he's carrying an early adp inside the top 50 overall right around pick 45 it's the second catcher eligible player off the board behind jt real muto real muto moved into the sal perez seat he now goes right around pick 30 because you're also getting some stolen base contributions but part of the reason why you know i was fully out on sal at that price but i'm not necessarily like an automatic pass on real muto is because of the categorical balance and the batting average situation. It is much different looking at Real Mudo's core skills versus Sal Perez's core skills, which even though he plays a ton so long as he's healthy, I do think you can find you can find that core set of skills elsewhere in the player pool. There are some first basemen, there are a lot of outfielders that are low average big power mashers. Yeah. So I don't want to commit that to my roster in the early rounds with Real Mudo because the the shape of the way he gets to the $20, $25 range, even the $30 range, it's so different than someone like Sal that I'd actually at least consider it depending on other circumstances. Unfortunately for us, that is a gift that uh, we'll keep on giving, but uh, there are not many gifts behind that. Um, I think in terms of guys that jumped up into somebody I might want to take uh, in the top 100, I think the only other name that comes to mind is Alejandro Kirk, uh, Sean Murphy maybe on the uh, as a as a sort of 80 to 100, um, but uh, I think Murphy uh, Kirk that might be where I go shopping. Uh, maybe Wilson Contreras. Are those guys by ADP around uh, 80 to 100? Even a little bit cheaper. Wilson Contreras is in that range at 98. 
and get so early. We've only got 11 drafts in November that we're looking back at. Sean Murphy looks like an early value to me. He looks like the yeah. guy that is the sort of the, I waited at catcher. I got a guy that plays a lot, that hits the ball hard, that if he stays in Oakland, is in the heart of the order. And even if he goes to a, if he goes to a better team, great. More RBI chances. Moves down in the order, but probably does just fine because he's getting a park upgrade on top of a supporting cast upgrade. Uh, so I do think prioritizing at least one top seven, top eight catcher, and Murphy belongs in that group for me, even though his current ADP isn't there. That's something I'm definitely going to do. It's not totally unlike how I think about trying to get saves and, and targeting closers, where it's like, I have to get at least one, because if I don't, I feel like I'm going to get punished. I think it, you actually get punished worse in in the catchers. You can throw some darts with relievers and get a lot luckier, I think, by comparison than you can in the catcher pool. I mean, maybe we get some prospects that emerge to take on larger roles that are, are cheap right now, right? We don't know if the Angels are going to have a veteran definitely on the roster come opening day along with Logan O'Hoppy or if it's going to be some kind of timeshare. You could see a guy like that getting better. Maybe the Jays trade a young catcher like Gabriel Moreno. He could end up somewhere else. Maybe Bo Naylor gets a full season in Cleveland and then you end up getting 450 plate appearances from someone that doesn't currently look like they have that. But it's really tough to rely on that happening this early in the offseason if you're playing draft and hold. And where's Sal Perez himself going? Slight discount at pick 65. So you basically have a toss-up now for the fourth spot among catchers between Adley Rutschman and Salvador Perez. Uh, I just wanted to point out that uh, there's a piece from Dave Cameron on Fangraphs in 2013. Catcher aging is a curve, not a cliff. He shows that catcher aging is just the same as any other position, which may surprise some people. Um, and, uh, you know, part of that might be that framing, uh, skills are mostly immune to aging, um, as I mentioned earlier, uh, but, uh, even offensively, I think they age, um, about the same as other positions. So Sal Perez, he is 32, but he might be interested to me, especially if he drops, uh, like a round off that ADP, you know, um, I think I might be looking for my catcher in the sort of 80 to 100 and and just try to keep my mind open if sal perez drops uh to 80 in my draft then i just say thank you uh for that i'll take that if he doesn't um maybe uh jump up uh sean murphy once wilson Contreras goes uh because i do not like the the drop beyond behind that sean murphy is going to be much more of your traditional catcher it might be nice to have alejandro kirk in there instead of sean murphy uh, but I'm going to be careful that I don't overspend there uh, and just try to catch somebody there. Um, and then I think for my second one, a nice, another nice thing is if you do get Alejandro Kirk, he'll pair nicely with your second catcher is almost definitely going to be somebody that just hits 15 homers and hits 230. <laughs> right. <laughs> like, it's really hard to get do any better. Yes, there was Alejandro Kirk this last year, but in terms of who I see coming up uh, in the ranks... One of my favorite uh, guys later on um, is uh, Cal Raleigh. Um, and uh, Raleigh actually led catchers in bail rate last year. And yes, he strikes out too much. So he is uh, probably one of these 230 hitters with 15 or 20 homers. But, uh, you know, other cheaper guys that did really well in bail rate are Gary Sanchez. You know, obviously the same kind of guy. Christian Betancourt, another similar kind of guy. Uh, so, you know, even someone like MJ Melendez, uh, looks like he fits into that, uh, high barrel rate, uh, high strikeout rate, low batting average category. Yeah, I do think, you know, universal DH and then individual roster situations are, are important for some of the players at this position. Gary Sanchez might be one of those kinds of guys, depending on what team he's on and what they have available in the DH spot, that could be a path for him. Even Mitch Garver. Uh, guys like that that hit for enough power can get that extra playing time. And that could be a pretty big edge if you can figure out who those players are, because that's where I think you're going to find a lot of that value after you get through the top 200. Cal Raleigh is kind of like Sean Murphy in terms of how the market's treating him right now outside the top 150. But I get the sense people realized how good he was over the course of the year, whether you got in very late in the playoffs or in the second half. As soon as you started to look back at the, yeah, the barrel rate, as you pointed out, the underlying numbers were all really good. It seemed like the playing time is, is really stable for him, too. The situation in Atlanta is kind of weird 
They still have Travis Darno. They still have William Contreras. Both are inside the top 15 in terms of positional ADP right now. And I don't think but that's the situation where you'd expect right, right? <laughs> I, don't, I don't see DH. I don't see as much DH playing time going to whoever's not catching from that group. And I find that to be a really tricky one to figure out. Two, three, three twenty-five guys, you know, in terms of maybe. Appearances. I mean, maybe that's the best way to keep them both healthy, and the per plate appearance numbers are good. But like I said earlier, I think that just dings you pretty badly in counting stats, especially when you're not getting those guys really, really late. There could be a Marcel Ozuna release in their future. Yeah, but I think they would still try and replace him. They would still potentially either bring in a shortstop and then just float the DH. Teams. Yeah, they're not they're not going to cheap out at that spot. They're not like, oh, just, it'll just be William Contreras and whoever else is you know, a little dinged up or whatever. Yeah, so I'm kind of keeping an eye on what they're doing to see if they trade someone. little surprised that Tyler Stevenson, with all the injuries, yeah, didn't come down. Above Contreras, above Murphy, above Raleigh, what? around pick 125. I thought wow. there'd be a, an injury discount. I like him a lot. Just I think it's because of the price. batting average. He's probably a guy who can hit for okay batting average, has a really good hit tool. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. If you're as obsessed with basketball as I am, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Hey guys, this is JJ Redick. Twice a week, I'm cooking up something special for basketball junkies on my podcast, The Old Man and the Three. I bring on guests in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, like Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash. Or Paulo Bencaro on his shooting workouts with Kevin Durant. Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron when they were teammates in Miami. But it's not just about the player interviews. Every Monday, I break down the top three things happening around the NBA without the outlandish takes. Often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler, we dive deep into topics like rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? The Old Man of the Three is the only companion podcast you'll need during the playoffs this year. Be sure to listen to The Old Man of the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. The player that people liked quite a bit going into 2022 who did slide a little bit is Kiebert Ruiz. He ended up being almost a $5 player, so it didn't ruin you if you draft him around pick 150. But he's going a couple rounds later. It's a bad situation right now with the Nationals. Clear rebuild, but that might be... Kind of like we talked about with Sean Murphy, where there's a high volume of playing time. Now that we have another season, a full season's worth of big league played appearances from Ruiz, and we look at the quality of the contact, how do you feel about Ruiz's ceiling now compared to how you may have felt about it previously? Because if I remember correctly, you were a little bit of a skeptic about Ruiz when the Nationals acquired him. Yeah, it's, it's funny. Uh, I think this is one of those situations where uh, I had no shares in last year because I thought this would be what would happen. You know, like, oh, like, okay, batting average for a catcher, but no power. Uh, I was a little surprised by the six steals, but uh, I didn't think he would produce that much value. And uh, I mean, 470, I guess I was wrong. That would be a fine second catcher. But he was he was going for more expensive than most second catchers. Like he was going 141. I was trying to get my second catcher like 230. You know what I mean? Um, so I didn't have any shares, uh, but it's important to keep your mind open in these situations and be like, where's he going now? 180. Yeah. So now I like him a little bit more, you know what I mean? <laughs> like Funny as game. he drops, uh, plus there's a rule change that benefits him. Uh, when I looked, I had plus seven hits for Kevin Ruiz looking just at last year's spray charts and where people won't be able to play defenders anymore next year. Um, and so I had an extra seven hits on the board for him, which could bring him to that projected 265 average. Um, I don't know if I believe that projected 16 homers, uh, <laughs> but if you're going to give me two, uh, a 265, 270 average uh, from a pull lefty that makes a ton of contact, um, that, and if I paired him with Sean Murphy... I feel like uh, I would get a lot of playing time, a decent amount of runs in RBI, and I would smush that batting average together and do fine. You know, so like a a really lovely duo for me next year 
and uh, hopefully, uh, you know, my main, my NFBC main competitors are not listening right now because I would love to come away with Sean Murphy uh, and uh, Kbert Ruiz as my as my one two. Yeah, I almost think Ruiz is like a, a younger version of Christian Vasquez right now. Yeah. Where it's like a little bit of speed, an average that might even be good, but probably won't hurt you in that category. Maybe a little and bit then, better than Vasquez because that strikeout rate, but yeah. In terms of the where the five by five comes from, though, I think yeah, that's yeah. kind of what I expect him to do. And and Vasquez is one of those players I I gravitate towards as a second catcher a lot. I mean, he's he's a free agent now, right? So could end up in another situation where he plays a ton and he's cheap right now. So I, I would I would say of of the that's discounted catchers. That's one that I like for draft and hold if you're doing those early drafts now or next month. I listed him as a potential free agent value because uh, the contract crowdsourcing by the Fangraphs uh, readers put him at one year and eight million. And uh, I have him projected as easily a top half uh, starting catcher. So to get somebody like that uh, for a one year deal, even if it's 10 million, um, I think there's teams that are going to jump at that. You know, teams that uh, could do that. I think the Astros, uh, I know they just had him. I think, you know, they would have an inside, uh, you know, bet on whether or not he's good. The Cardinals, the Giants, uh, you know, the Rockies have the, uh, by by Fangrass, have the worst catching situation in baseball. Um, you know, the Cubs, are they going to just go with Jan Gomes? So, you know, there's uh, there are a lot of teams that could sign him. The, the Brewers right now have Victor Caratini as their starting catcher. So, uh, which is only the 23rd uh, worst. I mean, it's the 23rd best. Like, they might just go with that. But anyway, those are a bunch of teams that could sign Christian Vasquez and make him their starting catcher, you know, tomorrow. Yeah, I think teams see him that way. I don't know if the ADP reflects that right now. So take advantage of it while you can because it probably won't last once that situation is actually clear to everybody. Uh, anybody else in this position, either a young player that broke through that you thought was uh, better than expected or an older player that, that surprised you? Because um, the young catchers in particular, there's a lot of, of prospect talent coming through. MJ Melendez came up this year and it's a $10 player right away. Played enough in the outfield where he qualifies both the catcher and in the outfield so you get a little bit of position flexibility. Um, he exceeded my expectations in part because I thought he would strike out more. I just thought some of the lower level issues he had with strikeouts might present themselves in a greater way upon arrival in the big leagues. But 24.5% from him, I mean, that's right in line with his AAA numbers, only a little bit above what he had done at AA back in 2021. I'm curious what you think the, the next level might be for him because the slash line is a little underwhelming for a guy that can hit the ball pretty hard and doesn't make bad swing decisions. Yeah, I traded him away and 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 rude the day. Um, yeah, I, I, that that barrel rate, uh, chase rate, and that barrel rate, uh, I think portends uh, better batting averages in the future. Uh, he does not hit fifty percent fly balls, so a two fifty eight BABIP I think is uh, seems light. Even the projected two sixty eight BABIP, where is that coming from? They're just giving him catcher speed. Um, I, I'm not sure that he's like you know bottom tier catcher speed in fact i want to look at his sprint speed now he's probably not slow because they can play him in the outfield right 61st percentile for sprint speed yeah that's good for a catcher so i don't i'm not sure that i believe this 268 babbit which means that you could get a 250 hitter uh with 25 homers and five steals next year at catcher i mean where's his where's his adp he's kind of in that stevenson elevated price range Still even a little earlier expensive, yeah right around pick 100 right now i mean i'll put him in that mix at, at 100 and maybe he'll be uh, uh preferable to some other guys uh but uh you know if i can wait 20 picks and get murphy uh, it'll be interesting to see when i'm what decision i make there but um another guy that I, w I was looking at you know that i traded for uh at one point during last season was jonah heim uh, who had a 262 batting average in the first half and 12 homers, and then a 181 batting average with four homers in the second half. And that was a little bit difficult uh, to deal with. Unfortunately, uh, the process stats, it's not really clear what happened. He struck out less and walked more uh, in, the, in the second half. 
uh, and uh, his ground ball fly ball mix was about the same. Um, you know, he's pretty pull happy, uh, but uh, as a guy who is a switch hitter and is going to bat lefty, that's not as much of a concern next year. Uh, I think Jonah Heim would be a decent, uh, a decent guy to put in as your second catcher next year. Where, where's his ADP? Yeah, he's got the 450 plate appearances this season, and I think he could get that number again, maybe even a, a tick above, depending on a few things that might be out of his control. ADP right around pick 250. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I love that. That's that's a guy I could come up with. I mean, if there was like a really obvious thing in the splits where I'm like, oh, he hit everything on the ground in the second half, and you know, I don't really see that. Uh, there may have been some injuries. Uh, you know, also. Uh, you know, his biggest catching workload in the big leagues, uh, you know, that could have just taken some toll on him, but he should be more prepared for that next year. Uh, and then there's actually a little bit of a a sign that there could be more in there. He had a 112 max EV, the best of his career. Uh, and, uh, his barrel rate got better again for a third time. Like what if he, you know, takes a little bit of a leap forward in the power department. So there is some upside there. Uh, that people are going to ignore, I think, for the most part, because it was such a terrible second half. Yeah, I mean, a 227, 298, 399 line overall makes it a little easy to look right past him, and I think the playing time is safe because the defense is great. The line he had was a league average hitter, and he does that with great defense. That plays at this position. And yeah, that's why you get the 450 plate appearance projection, you know, which is, I think, something you want. Should we move on to the UT-only players? There's like five of them. Let's do it. All right. Shohei Otani is not UT-only, but of course we'll talk about him here because from a hitting perspective, he is UT-only. $28, I believe, was just the hitting value he provided. I think the combined value would have been closer to like 45 to 50 depending on the calculators you want to use. Uh, but if also, you were able to accrue all that value, yeah. you had to choose. In a lot of leagues, exactly. you had to choose what is he for a particular lineup period. What I found to be really helpful was that in the 15-team NFBC auction championship, where I had Walker Bueller go down with an injury, having Shohei Otani being able to shift him from UT to pitcher gave me a shot at getting the high-quality innings I was expecting from Bueller from someone else. Very hard to find that on the wire. A little easier to find whatever hitting stats you might need to kind of stay afloat in that spot. So I, I liked him a lot more as an insurance policy. I didn't really think about him in that light when I built the team. I just thought he was going to hit for me all the time. And, you know, if I pitched him once or twice because the situation called for it, fine. But he ended up kind of flipping on my roster midseason as my needs on that roster change. And I, I really liked having that. That's it's, it's amazing. What that is, is um, a trade in a league you know, that doesn't allow trades. Right. You know, <laughs> he traded Shoyotani, the, the hitter for Shoyotani, the pitcher. Um, yeah, that's super hard to quantify. But uh, I, like I, I can't give him the full value of just adding hitter and pitcher because it's a weekly league. So you never really got that. But I can give you, you know, the first half of him. As, I can give you half of hitter and half of pitcher. Uh, and that still gets you to a $30 player. There are not that many $30 players. That's, that's according to this uh, version of the Austin Calgary, that's top one or two at a position. So uh, really cool that you were able to, to use that. I didn't monetize it. <laughs> yeah, it's still also a little tricky to pull, pull off the right, to, to, to build with that in mind, right? It's like in your head, when you're counting up how many pitchers do I have and how many hitters do I have, you're still, uh, I don't know <laughs> in the draft, right? You don't know. I think you just have to choose one while you're in the draft and then it might be a bonus later. I think you can sort of tell based on how the foundation of the roster comes together. So I mean, a snake, he's a first round pick. So you don't know in the first round, but depending on what you do, maybe with the next four picks together, after round five, you should know what your intention is. Yeah, I guess it keeps your options open, right? Because you don't yeah. have to like reach for a pitcher in the second round. Maybe you already got a pitcher. Right, and not knowing you know, how many other pitchers are even going to go in the first round this year, especially, you're sort of saying, well, let's just see what the board gives me, and then I can, if I feel like there's better value with bats, I go bats. If I feel like there's better value with arms, I go arms, and he's going to hit for me. That's fine. So you get that on draft day if you 
again, kind of understand that you have different paths you can follow, and then you get it in season as more of an insurance policy. Again, all of this is out the door if he's daily. Uh, I have him as a keeper in a daily league uh, where I can switch him from hitter to pitcher, and there's nothing you could give me for him. Do you think he's an angel? 2023, this, this is one of the big questions of the offseason. Simple yes, no. Is he still a member of the Angels on opening day of 2023? Well, I just feel sorry for Perry Asian because, you know, he takes over this gig. He gets GMs. You know, he's finally gets to be a GM and it's a big deal. And, you know, he got two of the best players in baseball and he's trying to win. I I just, you know, now you're like, the GM is fighting probably in conversations to be like, no, give me another shot. Give me one last year. The owner is probably saying we, we want to give, I, I, this is how I, I think owners think when the, the owner wants to buy, we want a clean balance sheet. I think we saw that with Juan Soto, right? Yeah. I was going to ask is Soto your, your best recent evidence of a team that was going to go up for sale. Just, making it as, as easy as possible. The Marlins traded all those guys before the sale, right? And they did that before they sold a couple times too, though, right? Yeah, I think that's the general thing. You Like, the new the new ownership doesn't want to come in and sell players. It's not the way you would endear yourself to the fan base to come in and, and tear everything down. If someone else does that for you, and then you get to build it back up, you get to be the hero. Yeah. I might have the chances that Otani is traded this offseason higher than most. I think uh, somewhere between 33 and 50%. Okay. It doesn't really change much about how I would value him. I mean, I think he could he could theoretically end up in a situation that's more pitcher-friendly. So that's good for his pitching stats. Not quite as good for his hitting stats, but he's, <laughs> right, yeah. he's a superstar. He'll he play well anywhere. Side. Yeah. yeah, right. So shifts where the 40 to $50 worth of value comes from if it's extreme in one direction or another. And could he could he end up on a, you know, a, a team that's you know more tech and data-friendly than, than the Angels were? It's not a high bar, is it? No, it's not. But also, uh, you know, Everyone has their own private coaches, and uh, so does he. And um, yeah, I don't. Is, it, is somebody going to get more out of him? Could someone convince him, you know, to play more, like hit more? I. What else do we want from him? He's over six hundred plate appearances each of the last two seasons. He struck out less than ever in 2022, still drew walks at a 10.8% clip. The barrel rate, 16.8%, was still excellent, second best of his career. The The area of his game where I didn't think he had another level, but it was compared to what he does as a hitter, the pitching side, right? I didn't think he had the command to be as good as he was as a pitcher in 2022. I just didn't think that was possible. I didn't think we'd get a 233 ERA and a 101 whip. It's still not his best uh, facet. I know his his walk rate looks good, but uh, he just basically outstuffed people. Uh, he was more. He, he wasn't a finesse guy. It's working for him for now. One hundred percent. Yeah, there's nothing, nothing. I I have nothing to really uh, throw at you uh, that's negative, other than like it took him fifteen point seven seconds to throw the ball with no runners on, and there's a fifteen second clock. Like I, I'm, I'm writing a piece uh, about that for for uh, an athletic fantasy project, and uh, uh, I couldn't even put him on the list of players affected by the pitch clock. <laughs> it's like I'm not going to put him on a do not draft list because he's 0.7 yeah. seconds slow. <laughs> I, th- I think we can deal. 0.7 seconds can be managed. Yeah, I think we so can train I, for that. And I think similarly, like there is no. There is no park that he goes to where I'm like, oh, he's going to be dead this year. Uh, no, because the Rockies aren't trading for him. So that's the only park where I would be terrified. Uh, the other park yeah, the where side. the Great American Ballpark, Homer, the Reds aren't doing it. So, yeah, it's just, there's no there's no realistic extreme what he, hitters. What if he went threat. to the Giants and it hurt his his power a little bit? It would give me more confidence in the ratios oh my God, being man, close to what he just did. 
And maybe as a pitcher, he would just... Uh, could he do better than a 233 ERA? That's... Uh, um, Probably not. I, I wouldn't expect that, but it's it's amazing. And uh, easily still a first-round pick, even a weekly. If he could play all right in San Francisco. You know, he has uh, a 17% barrel rate. Like, he really... And 119 max EV. Like, he has really, really great raw power. This is the best athlete in baseball today. And this is a guy who could hit splash hits down the line like Barry did. And then he also has that right center power, which I don't think will end up, uh, not right center power, oppo, oppo center power. That's not going to end up in triples alley. You know, that's more pull, pull side. So he's going to hit it out, uh, uh, you know, in, le- in left field as opposed to right field a lot of times. And I don't think he'll get, like, you know who got screwed by triples alley was Brandon Bell. I mean, he probably left, a hundred homers on the on the table, you know, compared to playing somewhere else. Yeah, that's uh, an interesting thought. I mean, it's a handful of other teams where you could definitely see them having the prospects necessary to pull it off, and it's it's only for for one year. But I assume the team that trades for him also makes the move to go ahead and give him a boatload of money to extend him too. It's probably not a we're giving you a bunch of prospects and then we're going to miss out on him for the next seven or eight years. I kind of think it's a a plus B for whoever ends up. And uh, even if it doesn't winning. happen right away, it'll be like, yeah, come here and fall in love. Yep. I think you're exactly right about that. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be a foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, Nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely, minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient-specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. Bryce Harper is a UT-only player, and it's further complicated by the surgery he's going to have, right? So elbow surgery on schedule for Wednesday, tomorrow, November 23rd. And at the time this was first reported, Dave Dombrowski said he was unsure if it's going to be Tommy John or another type of procedure to repair the tear in Harper's UCL. But by most accounts... Harper's going to miss several weeks to begin the 2023 season. That appears to be the most likely outcome at this point, does it not? Yes, I'm trying to find what I saw here. John Rogale, uh, who does uh, TJ surgery uh, analysis, he is at MLB player A-N-A-L-Y-S. Um He's got a whole database of Tommy John uh, surgeries. He says uh, if he if he's a regular UCL construction, it's sort of six to eight months. Uh, there's a new thing called an internal brace um, where they kind of they just they, they leave a brace in there, uh, and it can it can that's I think what uh, Tyler Glass now did, and it can kind of uh, it can kind of uh, speed up the process, but it. Uh, uh, in this case, John says it's the same time frame. So looks like six to eight months. You're hoping that you don't hear anything about TJ or internal brace. Uh, and it's uh, something lesser of a cleanup. But if it's six to eight months, that's a little rough, dude. That's uh, he, he only earned $15 by this auction calculator last year uh, because of all the time he missed. 
and I can't imagine he does any better next year. Uh, you're talking about coming back in June or July. Right. Even if everything goes well, he's feeling great, and we saw it in the postseason. Right? That's a long time to wait. And in leagues with no IL spots, that's a very challenging proposition to manage your roster for multiple months uh, without one of your players. It's just a, a very tough thing to do. So I don't know if I'll have a lot of Harper in 2023. Hopefully we'll get some clarity soon, though, with the surgery coming up uh, tomorrow. Fortunately, the, the UT-only players, it seems like this group's a little smaller than we're accustomed to. J.D. Martinez still fits into this bucket. It was a $12 season from him. I do wonder if there's going to be one more good J.D. Martinez season in these next few years before he calls it a career. He's 35 now. 596 plate appearances. To me, it's kind of a big number for him in 2022, just given some of the concerns people have had about his durability. But look back at what he's done since 2018. Over 600 on three occasions. The 596 in 2022 in the 60-game season in 2020, he played 54 out of 60 games. So he's become a little more durable with the heavier DH tilt to his playing time. Unfortunately, he still has a right center, you know, uh, bat path. He's actually a righty, so it's right center. <laughs> he still has he still has that oppo center bat path, and I know uh, that uh, Tommy Fan, both publicly and, and privately to me, has been talking about like I need to become a pull side, uh, a pull pull side barrel hitter uh, because Oppo home runs are dead, and we talked about this on this on this podcast how Oppo uh, home runs are down twice as much as pull home runs, and uh, I also know that Tommy Fan is a guy who talks about these sort of things with the other hitters in, in on his team, so I would not I would I would bet 100% that he's talked to J.D. Martinez about this phenomenon and that J.D. Martinez is thinking about it. But the problem is that, you know, trying to go from uh, the approach that J.D. Martinez has where he's letting it travel and that has uh, allowed him to, uh, you know, keep his his strikeout rate down um, and uh, hit to all fields and his batting average on balls and play up. He has a 342 Babbitt for his career. Um, this is related because he's basically a spray hitter with power. And um, and so, you know, if you change your approach and you say, I'm going to get that ball out front, I'm going to pull it, uh, you could expect him to strike out 27 to 28% of the time, uh, lose that BABIP because now he's pulling uh, into more defensible players, play places on the field, uh, and be more of a 250-25 homer hitter. Well, either way, he's projected right now to be a 250-20 homer hitter. So maybe at this point in your career, you say, I, I want another contract. I'm going to I'm going to go for the pull side homers uh, and, and see what happens there. So, uh, you know, I don't I think he'll get a one year sort of pillow deal uh, from somebody and we may see a different approach when he comes back. Um, if he does the same approach, though, uh, I think it's going to limit his power. I don't think he's going to hit more than uh, 20 homers, uh, maybe 22 or something. Uh, you know, with this approach. Pick 240 is where JD is going in early drafts. Tempting in that range because he could be the player he was last season and you'd be fine. Like if it's high teens in the home run count yeah. and maybe a few more runs in RBIs to go with a good average, you could live with that in that range. No positional value. And, and that's something we haven't really talked about in terms of strategy. Uh, you know, when you take one of these util only guys, uh, is you, you're not really helping yourself anywhere positionally. Um, but in a way you are because you're pushing everybody else uh, around, right? So you put the guy at Util, then your fifth, your sixth outfielder becomes a bench player that, you know, you are creating some uh, versatility. And if you could pair him uh, at, at 240, are there any, can you just glance around around 240 and a little bit lower, uh, some multi-eligible guys? Yeah, Gavin Lux, second in outfield, uh, Christopher Morell, Luis Urias. Yeah, Second, no, that's a short. really interesting one, Morel and JD Martinez, right? You could you could shore up a lot of positions and and have a high floor. So Martinez is your high floor util guy, and Morel is your high ceiling uh, uh, util guy. But like you know, actually util like like multi eligibility. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's a really interesting pairing, I think, uh, because 
Morel's uh, all of Morel's flaws are the things that Martinez does well too. You know, like it's almost like if you could push them together into one player, you'd have a superstar young player. Right? <laughs> uh, so I, I think that's a really interesting pairing right there. Morel, Morel, and JD Martinez for your 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 two of your last three hitters is is not terrible. Nelson Cruz finally, 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 finally didn't come through and provide that that value that we were expecting in 2022 did he officially retire or is that just an expectation that he's going to retire i would expect it yeah i don't think i've seen an actual announcement or anything yet but i'm probably gonna play try to play in the world baseball classic maybe and then yeah yeah like if he has like a great wbc maybe maybe gets approached with an offer or something but 42 years old his projection is uh for basically just above league average with the bat which at DH, you know, there's some value there, but we know that at 33 uh, projected bounce backs are not, uh, you know, super believable. So at 42, there's a lot of people on teams saying, no, we think he's done. So um, I don't I don't know that I would make him part of my plans unless it was just a, a stash and pray situation. Uh, a little bit different is from Mill Reyes at 27. Um you know, he, he did play a little bit better with the Cubs, uh, walked a little bit more, struck out a little bit less, swung and missed a little bit less. Uh, he also hit more grounders, didn't hit for a ton of power in either place. Uh, the same, like it, 137 ISO with Cleveland, 154 with Chicago. That's not the, the 250s that you were looking at before. Um, I don't really have uh, like a great answer for you about... Uh, you know what his way forward is but i'm not gonna take a 27 year old that has basically uh one bad year on his resume and write him off so i'm a little bit more interested in Franmil as uh as a bounce back candidate uh late in in, in drafts yeah and it's a handful of teams that even if they're not really clear contenders for this season could take a chance on him cheap and then flip him just for a low-level pitching prospect at the deadline to a team that wants to add right-handed pop. Uh, the Reds, the Tigers, the Brewers, because they're replacing Andrew McCutcheon, maybe. they got a lot of outfielders they got to figure out. Probably could be some trades in Milwaukee this offseason. The Rockies. Can you imagine how excited everybody would be about Fran Reyes getting a chance in Colorado? Uh, basically free right now, ADP outside the top 400 early on this draft season. Yeah, I mean, the Pirates. There's a lot of teams that, that would take a chance on him. Uh, and give him some playing time, I think. So, yeah, I think uh, it is. You have to go further than 240. I mean, this is this is NFBC final hitter type stuff where yeah. you and 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 it's a it's actually interesting in um, not in draft and holds as much because that you, then you're taking the chance where he's just not he's not a full time player this year and that's that's a real risk. But if you were taking a, a an early draft right now where he was your your final hitter. Uh, you would know in the first uh, FAAB period if you wanted to keep him, basically, right? Like, you'll know in three weeks if you want to keep him on your team or not. Yeah, I, I don't think it's hard. In leagues where you can make moves, it's even more appealing. If we know where he's playing, it, it might be easier to make a call on his chances of sticking all season long. Not knowing where he's going, it could be a good team that wants to get a look. They might be quicker to let him go, and then you end up in that situation where he doesn't have a job or... It takes some time, and it just turns into a complete mess. Uh, but really surprised that he collapsed as quickly as he did. So someone will give him an opportunity in 2023. That is going to do it for this episode of Rates and Barrels. A few things before we go. There is a Black Friday special happening right now. The Athletic.com slash Rates and Barrels should get you that offer. It is a dollar a month for the first year. Best offer that we put out throughout the year, so you can get that. Um, there are some discounts as well on gift subscriptions. They are not that same offer, but they are discounted compared to what they normally cost. So if you think about giving the gift of The Athletic, this is a good time to do that too. So be sure to check out those discounts while you can. On Twitter, you can find Eno at Eno Saris. You can find me at Derek Van Riper. We hope everyone has a safe and happy Thanksgiving. We are off next week. We are back with you when the winter meetings begin in early December. Thanks for listening.
As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.